Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome into another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. Seku Smith here in Atlanta. My main man, John Schumann, is in New Jersey. John Hartzell behind the glass, pushing these buttons, making it all happen. Later in the show, we will be joined by our colleague and friend, Sean Powell of NBA.com. He's in L.A., has been all season, and is documenting the wild and crazy times of the Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron James, and all of that traveling circus, as well as the Clippers. We'll get into that with him later in the show. But first, you, Wednesday nights, strange. We've had some unbelievable, wild, and crazy Wednesday nights, and then we have crunchier Wednesday nights, the nights when the games aren't quite as good. There was eight of them last night. Not the compelling, dramatic finishes that we had as recently as last week, but interesting. Very interesting thing. What stood out to you watching Wednesday night slate of games this week? The one thing that, that stood out to me is the Pacers losing in Washington by 18. This is a team that withstood the first Victor Oladipo absence pretty well. I think there was something like 7-4, and 8-4 and four or something without him in his first absence, uh, depending on whether you count the game he was injured in. But now in three games without him, or since he was lost for the season, the results have not been uh, nearly as good. Their first game they lost in Memphis only by three, but the Grizzlies have been pretty terrible over the last month. And then they got thumped at home by the Warriors, lost by 32, and then losing at Washington by 18 last night. It's not a good sign for the sort of Pacers without Oladipo. You know, I thought they could hold on pretty well just because they have, you know, three, four guys that if you're picking all-star reserves, you put three or four of those names on a list just as a preliminary list. Uh, uh, Bogdanovich, who's having a terrific season. Miles Turner, Damanis Sabonis, even Thaddeus Young a little bit, and, and who's having another uh, great season. So things have not uh, held up so far in those first three games. And I think it's a concern for that team is just as far as you know how much they can hold on. Um, their offense has been pretty terrible, especially in the last two. They've scored less than a point per possession in both of the last two games, the Warriors game and the Washington game. And Washington has not been a good defensive team. So that that's a problem. So it's interesting, you know, to, to see. I don't know how far they can fall. I don't think they can fall much further than fifth in the East. But, you know, if they're just not as competitive, that makes the East playoff field just that much shallower. I kind of throw out the Warriors game, shoe. You know, the way the Warriors are playing right now, they beat the brakes off anybody. Victor Oladipo or not. <laughs> you know, they could have ran the Pacers off the floor. But you're right. It, it does make you wonder, what's the net for this Pacers team now? You know, where do they fall? How far do they fall without Oladipo in the mix? And who fills the void? I mean, they don't have another guy on the roster. I know some people look at Tyreek Evans and think, oh, well, Tyreek Evans can play a bigger role. He's He's been... He's not been great. Yeah, they, well, he's been a number one guy or a quasi number one guy earlier in his career. He could be the you know kind of the player that fills that role, and I just don't know. I I think we're I think people are underselling just how dynamic Oladipo had been since coming you know coming to Indiana and enjoying the Pacers. I mean, he was he had become one of you know one of the electrifying you know wing players in the league, really. 
Yeah, I mean their formula now is 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 to win ugly. You know, they play slow, they play slow, they have a top five defense. They can sort of take the grit and grind mantle perhaps uh at this point, you know, with the the slow pace and the and the the defense being much better than the offense. Sure. I'm not sure that's a, anything to aspire to since the grit and grind is <laughs> grinding away in Memphis. Um and that Memphis team was in action last night as well. Pretty pretty good finish, obviously, for the Timberwolves. Carl Anthony Towns with a baseline jumper to beat the buzzer and give Ryan Saunders another win. What's been your impression quickly of of the Timberwolves and how they fared here recently? Hanging on. I mean, like they're still without Covington, who's been I mean, he's been gone for a long time. And that's that's a, a critical element. And then last you know, they've basically been playing without two or three point guards for the last week or so. You know, Rose has been hurt. Teague has been hurt. Tyus Jones has been hurt. Jared Bayless was taking big shots for them. Jared Bayless, who had barely had played in the last year. Yeah, he ran out of gas late. It was, <laughs> it was pretty funny. We were making fun of him on game time last night. But they're holding on. I mean, they're a game under 500. There are three games in the loss column behind the Clippers, who are in eighth place. But, the you know, the one thing about that is that between them and the Clippers is the Lakers, who... I assume we're going to get LeBron James back at some point. At some point, yes. Yeah, so uh, I think it's still very much an uphill battle, but if they can get healthy, then they can be – I mean, we've seen them at full strength put a little bit of a run together, but uh, right now they're just holding on, and obviously you know, they can take every win they can get, so that's obviously a huge a huge shot for Towns just in the in the court, in the sort of grander scale of the whole season. Yeah, well, still a lot to be determined at this stage of the season, a week – ahead of the trade deadline, even further out, a couple weeks out of, of All-Star Weekend. I don't know that anybody that's in that mix where the Timberwolves are in the West and certainly teams outside the playoff line in the East right now still have a shot to put together the kind of runs that would get them back into uh, contention. So could be interesting. Uh, you mentioned the Lakers, and, and I did bring up the fact that we – have found a way to get on to uh, Sean Powell's busy schedule. So got a lot of questions for Sean that we need to to get in here, Shu. So definitely looking forward to talking to him. Sean Powell, NBA.com's very own, joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Sean, how you doing, man? Good, good to hear your voice. Saw you last week on NBA TV, but man, you you have jumped into it, living and working in L.A., dealing with the Lakers and LeBron James and all that drama. How's it been? How's it been? Has it been what you thought so far? Yeah, I would say so. When LeBron goes anywhere, you don't expect quiet. You don't expect calm. (laughs) You don't expect routine. So, but you do tend to expect the unexpected. And I think if there's any way we can sum up, you know, his tenure here so far, I think that would be it. Once you mix in number one, how well he's played. I mean, you know, give him credit. I mean, at this stage in his career, he's, before he got hurt, he was on MVP level. The number two, the way the Lakers have been hot and cold during his tenure here. Then his injury, then the injuries of a couple others. And then the Lakers right now are out of the playoffs. And then when you mix in the Anthony Davis drama and the fact that LeBron is still sitting out, well, as I said, expect the unexpected. (laughs) Is there any chance that he shows up in uniform for Saturday's game against the Warriors, 8.30 on ES, on uh, ABC, excuse me. Is is there an opportunity at all for him to make his return? Then I, I, it keeps moving back, Sean. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. I don't want to start anything that hasn't already been started, of course. But this seems very strange to me that, that a guy who's never missed this kind of time in his career would miss it now. And maybe it's got to do with the injury, the nature of the injury. 
or his years of service and how much time he has spent, you know, grinding away in this league. But this is a long time for a guy who's never missed this kind of time to be out of the mix. Well, thank you. If you go back to Christmas Day, you know, where LeBron said he felt a pop, right there and then you felt, well, maybe this is something for the first time in his career. And then, you know, he had some, like, uh, media friends, and he told his media friends that, yeah, it's probably not that serious. Doesn't, you know, it's going to probably be okay. So then you felt that, you know, well, maybe this would probably be like a week or two. But now, Steph Curry had the same injury. We don't know the severity, of course, of two different players and everything like that. He missed 11 games. I didn't think he was going to come back right away. But now I'm mm-hmm. on the other end. I didn't think he was going to be back, be out this long. He has come back to practice, been kind of limited, although he had some contact the other day. From a dramatic standpoint, yeah, coming back against the Warriors, the same place in Oakland. Yeah, that would get the best hit. And it would also probably take a little bit, bit of attention away from the Anthony Davis trauma. So if you're looking at it from the dramatic angle, yeah, coming back against the Warriors would make sense. But yeah, I, I am kind of curious about this. We can never underestimate muscle pulls, hamstrings, things like that, because they're very unpredictable, particularly in a player who's 34 years old and has a lot of mileage on his body. But uh, yeah, if you want to buy the conspiracy theory and feel free to do so, <laughs> all kind of things swirl through your head. Is this is there something else going on? How is how is this linked or related to Anthony Davis? How is this linked or related to the way the Lakers have played since his absence? A lot of things go into your head, but without any kind of factual proof, of course, we have to play it straight down the middle. Sean, like I, I wonder with this Davis thing and the timing of it being uh, seemingly to force the Pelicans' hands into trading him to, to L.A. or giving L.A. an advantage in that, in that you know, Boston can't enter the bidding at this point. If it's a sign that the Lakers, or LeBron at least, wants to make a push right now this season rather than using this first year in L.A. as just sort of a, a feeling out period and, and thinking that, okay, it's in year two that we really start to make a push to compete with the Warriors. When he first got there and, and with the, the signings that they made, okay, this is just a, a one-year holding period until we, they can you know, really uh, go for the, the free agents and or Davis in the summer. But now maybe I feel like there's maybe some urgency. Maybe the, the, the injury is a sign that, hey, LeBron, your, your time in this league is, is limited, like the first sign of, hey, you know, you, you're, you're mortal. And maybe there's a little bit more urgency than there, than maybe we thought there was when he first came there with a four-year deal. Well, I kind of compared it the other day from uh, driving in the middle lane to all of a sudden going over to the express lane. When LeBron came in, you're right. Uh, matter of fact, the very first press conference, he says, hey, we can't beat the Warriors. We're not going to compete against the Warriors. You know, I know what I'm getting myself into here. Kind of compared it to when he first went to Cleveland. A lot of young players. I'm here. Initially, I'm going to teach. I'm, you know, I'm going to do all this and that. But what he could couldn't say then is I'm going to stay healthy. Yes, the timing is very curious, and I believe we can connect the dots there again without any kind of proof. But it's just you know we're sitting here just talking that maybe LeBron got a sense of his own mortality with this injury, and then I I don't necessarily think it's him overcoming this injury, but maybe him may not overcome the next injury if it's lurking around the corner. And so maybe that sense of urgency hit LeBron and then all of a sudden it hit Magic Johnson. And and suddenly the timeline has been sped up. Now, whether or not 
the New Orleans Pelicans will cooperate with this line of thinking? That's the big question mark. I, I think when I think when LeBron's people agency made the demand request, whatever, however, which way you want to phrase it, I think it caused within the New Orleans Pelicans a sense of defiance. As though, well, why am I going to cooperate with you? Why am I? Why are we going to help you? If anything, we we would probably help someone else if the return is equal or greater. And I think the Pelicans have sort of dug in their heels here. I don't think there's been much communications, if any communication, between the two parties. And you saw the carefully worded press release, and that they're not going to let outside influences dictate when or if they're going to trade Anthony Davis. And I thought that was a direct message to only one team in the NBA, and that was the Lakers, and that was also LeBron's agency. So we will see what happens here over the next eight days, but the betting money is they're not going to do with anything with Anthony Davis between now and the trade deadline. I think the fascinating scenario is if they trade him somewhere else, do the Lakers wait that next year? Like, oh, he may say, I'm only going to sign with the Lakers in 2020. Okay, but the, are the Lakers going to wait it out and not and sign a you know a bunch of one year contracts with other guys, or are they going to say, all right, well, if he's somewhere else, say he's in Boston or he's in New York or whatever, who wherever, come July, whatever, or come you know September, whatever, when when training camps open, are the Lakers really going to just sit out free agency this year and wait for him in 2020, or are they going to? say we got to move on and like so that that that's the sort of the fascinating scenario for me like with lebron getting older and with lebron you know maybe feeling his own mortality at this point how can they wait out you know how can they wait him out until 2020 if he's somewhere else yeah obviously that is a big question but i think anthony davis pretty much represents a plan b for the lakers the plan a was Paul George, and that didn't work out very well. And then the next plan is going to be Kawhi Leonard. We'll see how that may work out. And of course, the wild card in all of it is Kevin Durant, although KD is sort of on record, I think, saying that, you know, not going to play with the Lakers, that he's going to go anywhere. Uh, he hasn't directly said that, but you can read between his lines in his recent interviews. Yeah, I, I think right now the Lakers probably don't anticipate Anthony Davis being sent anywhere other than LA this season. It would be it'd be interesting if suddenly like say the Toronto Raptors pushed all their chips on the table and made a play for him before the trade deadline, you know, throwing in, you know, Siakam and maybe some other goodies and that the Pelicans would bite on that. And that would be the ultimate, you know, slap in the face to the Lakers. Uh, and then what happens, like, look, if, if Anthony Davis is not coming to the Lakers until 2020, well, LeBron James is halfway through that contract and he's 36 years old and who knows what his body's like then. So all this is really, it's just really up in the air right now. And you wonder how many plans the Lakers have, plan A, plan B, plan C, and if they're going to hit on any of them. You know, Rob Plinka and Magic Johnson right now, a little bit under the, you know, they're, they're on, not, not only are they on the clock, but they're a little bit under pressure to pull something off. I'm not so sure the threat right before the trade dead, deadline was the smartest move because instead of making New Orleans cooperate with them, it sort of made New Orleans defiant. So uh, again, we'll see how it shakes loose. And we also don't know who's really calling the shots in New Orleans. Is it ownership? Is it Gail Benson all of a sudden? Or is it still Dale Dimps? So all these things are, you know, moving as we speak. Can the Lakers afford to miss the playoffs this season? I mean, they're, they're 26 and 25 in the ninth spot, two games behind 
the Clippers, who they uh, have a, a big game against tonight at 10.30 Eastern on League Pass. Is it feasible for the Lakers to miss the playoffs and kind of delay it, this entire process maybe until this time next season? I think from an optics standpoint, it would be embarrassing um, because I think the playoffs were a given when LeBron James came in. Of course, things have changed. So if you look at it from a planning standpoint and a team building standpoint and a bigger picture standpoint, then maybe missing the playoffs wouldn't be all that bad because then they would get, you know, whatever odds they would have of getting, moving up in the draft, but they would also give them a chance to regroup. I never think there's anything good to come out of a team like the Lakers missing the playoffs. If you're talking about the Atlanta Hawks, okay, great. But a team like the Lakers, where you have LeBron, you have some young players who need to know what it's like to play in the playoffs. I think the payoff the, the payoff is greater to at least go there and get bounced in the first round than to miss the playoffs and end up with like, what, the 15th pick. Uh, so, you look, it's all tied to LeBron. It's all tied to when he comes back. And all of a sudden, there aren't that many games left in the season. And You have to look at a scenario where given the fact that the West is really loaded, Doc Rivers said the other day that, hey, we're all playing for our lives right now, where, you know, 10 teams are fighting for eight spots. You had the very real scenario of LeBron James playing meaningful games in early mid-April at a time when he probably should be resting then. So, But because the Lakers could be in intense competition for one of those last couple spots, He's going to have to play the rest of this season, and he's going to have, probably have to play 30-plus minutes, very limited games off. You know, what's that going to do to his body? You know, and then he has to turn around and play in the postseason. So it's going to be a very interesting, not only in next week to see what happens with Anthony Davis, but the next couple of months with this team because that injury and the Davis demand has really thrown everything for a loop here. One of their most important games is, is tonight. We're, tra- we're speaking on Thursday. They play the Clippers tonight, the eighth place Clippers. Clippers won the first meeting in the wake of the of LeBron's injury. And then they have two more, uh, one in early March, one in early April. So the, the urgency is right now, really. Yes, I would think so. And let's not also discount the fact that, you know, you're not going to have Lonzo Ball. He's not going to play. You know, Kyle Kuzma's status is up in the air. So it's just really not LeBron James. And you've had some surprises here with a couple players on the roster. They played a little bit better than you thought. Zubac, a couple others. But, and Rondo's back. But how, how much longer can you exist on such a, a limited and uh, a, a roster that seems to change every game, a rotation. Brandon Ingram will get his career high one night as he did his last game and then has a ten- tendency to drift his next game. The consistency just really isn't there with him. Uh, and sometimes you go in and you're looking for, you know, who's going to lead us tonight? Is it going to be Kuzma? Is it going to be Ingram? You know, while LeBron is out. So, yeah, I would probably say for the Lakers, yeah, the season kind of starts now. Uh, I would have said that their last game, and I'm going to definitely going to say it their next game. But LeBron is, you know, he's a wild card. When is he coming back? And what are they going to do with it? And, you know, one other thing that we haven't really spoken about is the climate around the Lakers, because some of these young players are wondering, you know, 
Are they going to be passing the ball to LeBron James next week, or are they going to be passing to Etwan Moore? And for a young player to have to deal with that, whether or not they're going to be included in trade talks, whether or not whether or not they're going to last the season in L.A., I, I think that's sort of like a mental. I'm not going to use the word torture, but I think it's kind of hitting some of these guys mentally. Well, they they can't ignore the scenario. They can't ignore the possibilities, right? And does that affect their play? I've been curious about the the one underlying relationship that is always kind of in the crosshairs when LeBron shows up, and that's the one with Luke Walton in that dynamic in terms of it's, there's always this sense that the coach has to get on board with LeBron's vision of how things are going to run and what LeBron wants and how he wants it. Luke Walton has done a really nice job of kind of stiff-arming that conversation, but somebody's going to be on the hook for this thing if if it doesn't go the way the Lakers planned it. Is, is Luke Walton fair or not going to end up being the guy who takes – the brunt of this if if the Lakers stumble and don't make the playoffs? Well, I like the how you phrase it fair or not because I think it I think the or not part would probably <laughs> be a bigger in play here than the fair. Now just think for a second what everything that Luke Walton has had to deal with. Number one, you're bringing in LeBron James. Okay. Then that that's a big thing in and of itself. And then you're bringing in a roster of play of uh like three or four veterans on one-year deal. Now, a veteran on a one-year deal, yeah, these guys have all made their money and everything, but they want to stick around in the NBA. So now you've got to factor in that. Their playing time, their egos, and, and you know, taking individually, these guys are interesting to say the least, okay? Now you've got young players you're still trying to develop. Lonzo Ball spent much of the summer trying to fix his jump shot. I think it's still kind of broken. Brandon Ingram, you're trying to groom him into being a strong number two option because you've got to make a money decision on him next summer. He is extension eligible. What are you going to do with him? So you got to kind of know what you have in Brandon Ingram before the season ends. And finally, you have the expectations, probably inflated, management. Magic Johnson, who's a winner. Magic, does, Magic is about the reason why Magic has this job, why Jeannie Buss gave him the job why Magic talked himself into the job is because of winning. So, you know, you have all those forces, you know, combined together uh, in front of Luke Walton, who, by the way, in terms of temperament, is about as good a coach as you're going to get. He is, he is, I'm not going to say he's laid back from the standpoint he's not demanding, but he's not confrontational. He's got kind of a cool personality. You would think that he could relate to a superstar. He's been around him. He had Shaq and Kobe when he played for the Lakers. When he was in Golden State, he had Steph and KD. So he can relate to the superstars and, of course, who his father was. But he can also relate to the players at the end of the bench who need to be developed. He was one of them. So ideally, he would probably be the right coach. But I think there's a lot of forces going on here that if it doesn't work out, and someone's looking for a scapegoat, then it's probably going to be Luke Walton. What's the alternative? Well, first of all, I, I always thought when people bring up LeBron James and coaching, I, I really don't think LeBron James cares all that much about who's coaching. It's LeBron James. Ultimately, you can bring in anybody to coach the team that LeBron James is on, and LeBron is pretty much going to do what LeBron does. So I, I don't think LeBron is, you know, 
he's got a Luke Walton doll. He's pushing pins in or anything like that. I really don't think LeBron cares that much. I don't think he really cared about Eric Spolstra. I mean, he liked, you know, Ty Lue personally and probably respected his basketball acumen. But again, I just think it's one of those things where when you become a LeBron James and maybe two or three other players might be in that category, you don't care who the coach is. Now, uh, management may care. There might be some players who aren't getting playing time they care. And just in terms of the, how it looks, you know, you might just want to just put a name out there so it just might look well. But I don't know. Anyway, to answer your question, though, that was a long-winded introduction there. I would probably say the most logical person would be Ty Lue. He's sitting there. He's unemployed. He'd be the easiest to get. And you would also think that there is less risk with him. He's to play for the Lakers. He knows the culture. Uh, he's to coach LeBron James. And, you know, again, he's available and he's won a championship. So that would be the most logical answer, uh, whether there's someone else in there or some other scenario, you know, that really hasn't presented itself. Sean, you've lived and worked in New York and been around those franchises, you know, during seminal moments, you know, in, in some of the New York franchises history. And you bring up the culture. And, and I don't know that people who've never been out there or experienced it understand the, the culture of Lakers basketball and just how intense the scrutiny is, how the conversation, even in a place like L.A. where there are a million other things going on, how daily the conversation tends to veer towards the Lakers. What is the reaction and comprehension of the Lakers fan base and, and folks in L.A. about what's going on with this team right now? It doesn't seem to be the hand-wringing that was going on in the aftermath of Kobe Bryant's career when they were trying to figure out where do we go next? Because now you have LeBron. So you, you know the direction points towards positive things or good things. But how are they reacting to this season, this year, this group of players, the up and down nature of what they've done? They're 6-11 since LeBron got injured on Christmas. This has to turn Lakers Nation into a stark raving group of fans who are frightened at what could go wrong next. You know, it's interesting. The Rams are in the Super Bowl and um, got an exciting team, had a fairly good chance of, you know, becoming Super Bowl champions, playing Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Patriots in the Super Bowl, big game. And yet, you know what is the driving topic of conversation here? Anthony Davis possibly coming to the Lakers. Right. Possibly. He ain't here. Not here. Possibly coming to the Lakers before the trade deadline. Not this summer. Possibly. Big story on the LA Times. Pushed the, the Rams Super Bowl preparation to the bottom on the back wow. by the tire ads, things like wow. that. So there is still a sense of, of enthusiasm. There's a still a very positive vibe here. Uh, there's still the sense that eventually the Lakers will be where everyone expects them to be. But I would say the, the trade deadline is going to be a checkpoint because if Anthony Davis is still in New Orleans, at the trade deadline. And the Lakers are still right around that 8, 9, 10, sitting on the fence spot in the West. And, and the Rams by then are out of the Super Bowl. So the Lakers got it all to themselves. And I think there might be a, I'm not going to say panic, but a sense of worry. I, I do know that when you combine Magic Johnson, who may be the greatest Laker ever, if not the most popular, with LeBron James, I do think here in LA, which traditionally is a laid back, you know, arrive at second quarter kind of town, I do believe that they want something fairly soon right away they're not going to be unrealistic they know kevin durant is still with the warriors and demarcus Cousins, so probably nothing's going to happen this year but they really want to see the pieces in place for next season they want to make sure that this team is targeting 
2020 as when they're going to win that championship. And if they don't start to see those pieces, then I think that there's probably going to be, you know, a feedback that it's not going to be as positive as it was when training camp began. Sean, how much of this is driven by the miss on Paul George? You talked about plan A and the fact that they didn't go out and, and trade for Paul George and put themselves in a position to lock him down. Um, they just assume that the lure of coming home and, and that Laker culture that Paul George grew up in would be strong enough to pull him in free agency. How much of the Lakers maybe wanting to get this business handled now stems from them not getting the business done where Paul George was concerned. Yeah, and, and, and that's when, you know, we go back to where Magic Johnson's feeling a little bit of pressure this time. Uh, the Paul George going back to Oklahoma City, it's, look, it surprised everybody. I'm sure it surprised you. It, it, hey, it probably surprised Oklahoma City Thunder. Yes. Y- you know, uh, because all signs pointed to Paul George. for Actually, the, before he even got to Oklahoma City, when he was still in Indiana, that he somehow, some way would end up with the Lakers. So that was a swing and a miss. And as I said, I think the Lakers had a plan B, had a plan C, plan, you know, because you've got this succession of players hitting the market. You know, if you've got Kawhi Leonard, you've got Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, you know, probably going to be available soon, if not a little bit later. So you have, you know, all these, okay, who's next? You know, who's on deck type of scenarios. But if they whiff on another, then it becomes, again, you know, LeBron James is on the clock. you got to get him somebody in here pretty soon. He's, he's only on the contract for three more years, and now all of a sudden his body is, I wouldn't say it's in danger, but it's at least in question now. So the urgency is a little bit, you know, more heightened now. So you, you missed on Paul George. It's almost like you got to nail this next one. Now, here's the other issue here, guys. Suppose the Lakers are so desperate to get Anthony Davis that they give up the store. And suddenly you got LeBron, okay, you got Anthony Davis, but all your young core is pretty much depleted. Then what? You know, then you have to win now because you don't have anyone in place to take the mantle once LeBron James leaves. Now, you may say that that's not such a big deal. You just want to get at least one championship out of LeBron James and nothing else matters. Okay, fine. I get that. But when Magic Johnson formed this team, he says, you know what? We're just not going to be a team that's going to hit once. We want to. We want some uh, sustainability. But you, you're throwing that all out of the window if you give up all of your young assets to get Anthony Davis. Oh, and by the way, Anthony Davis, I know this season he's played a lot of minutes and you know, really hasn't missed any games, but he does have a history of injury too. And finally, you're also raising the scenario where – Suddenly, LeBron James, if his body doesn't fail him, he, you know, he's going to get old. And now all you have is Anthony Davis. And you basically have the New Orleans Pelicans in L.A. <laughs> We're getting ahead of ourselves here. My, my, my one thing, I don't root for teams, but one, one thing I am rooting for is the final playoff spot in the West, either becoming between the Lakers and the Clippers or the Lakers and the Kings, where the Lakers are trying to end a five-year drought and the Kings are trying to end a 12-year drought. <laughs> There's a, the, the, but the problem is the only like head-to-head between those teams is Lakers-Clippers on the last Friday of the season. So it wouldn't, you wouldn't get a, a, a sort of a climactic final game of the season. But I am still rooting for those, some sort of playoff battle for the final eighth spot between the Lakers and one of those two, uh, two rivals. Yeah, you got to throw the Spurs in that mix, too, because, you know, they've got a long playoff streak rising. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, yeah, they're in the sixth spot, but, you know, they're just, 
you know, a, a couple of losses away from being right on the fence. So I love that. I love that scenario of the colliding streaks, <laughs> you know, positive and negative streaks. I like that, John. Yeah. And like, yeah, LeBron's got, you know, his own playoff streak too. Yeah. So that's definitely up there. It's going to be, a, I mean, it's obviously going to be a, a crazy finish in the West, you know, based on who snags those final playoff spots. But, uh, but Sean, I'm, you know, last thing on, on the Lakers before we get to the, uh, the Schumann stat, uh, which we do every week here on the Hang Time Podcast. If you have to really take a serious look at LeBron, and I know this is blasphemy because he's done this for so long, we've never had this conversation about when does LeBron start showing signs of age and when does that does father's time start following him around. Have we hit that point with LeBron now that we have to include that in the conversation about his immediate future every time we bring it up that, you know, his age now is a factor. His years of service is a factor. The, the, all the straight trips to the finals have now become a factor because he's had this one injury that's cost him this much time and maybe colors his future differently now going forward. I think we're in a position where we have to be careful about overreacting and underreacting with regards to this injury because simply it's just mysterious. We don't know whether it's going to lead to other things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you bring up Father Time. Father Time works in very mysterious ways. You know, Father Time can sap a great player's, you know, talent and strength and legs. And there's like a gradual and sad decline. And then with some other players, Father Time doesn't come knocking on the door until abruptly. You know, and, and then a player can go from playing extremely well one season and all of a sudden the next season there's just this drastic drop off. And if you can you can go look at great players in the past in the NBA, you can even go to other sports and you can see where Father Time, you know, had different methods against them. Uh I think with LeBron James, it's probably gonna be something drastic. Uh you know, yeah, injury. Uh, just, you know, as you said, the type of mileage. This is a guy who's been, what, how many straight finals deep in the playoffs, playing 37, 38 minutes, having to carry his team. You know, that takes a toll on anyone's body. I don't care if it's LeBron James's body, anyone's body. Ultimately, you're going to have to pay the price. Ultimately, the bill comes due. And the big mystery with LeBron is with this injury is we don't know if suddenly, you know, the waiters walking up to his table, you know, get ready to hand him the check, you know, saying, LeBron, it's your time. I hope you have your credit card or two credit cards because, you know, the bill is due. But you know, we, we won't know until, A, we find out when he comes back to this injury, and, B, we see how his body reacts once he does come back. Yeah, I think it'll be um, interesting to see him play post-injury Um but I will uh, while we're here, I will we'll update this stat that I've mentioned multiple times on this podca- podcast over the years. Since he came into the league, LeBron has played 55,527 minutes. Next on the list since the start of the 2003-04 season is Joe Johnson, who has played 44,000 minutes. So he's played a, a, more than 11,000 more minutes than any other player in the time that he's been in the league. Wow. So it's basically like playing two and a half extra seasons, yeah. essentially. It's just remarkable. Or more, yeah, basically almost three, almost three uh, additional seasons in that time. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. If you look at Joe Johnson, you know, Joe Johnson and, and Sekou, you can, you know, you can attest to this because, you, you know, you covered him for a little bit. But uh, he, he had this 
amazing ascent from Phoenix and all those years in Atlanta where the numbers were going, it's scoring average is going up and up every year, every year. And then, you know, right around the Brooklyn yeah. era, you know, he had this, you know, father time paid him a visit yeah. and it was a sad and steady decline. So again, LeBron is over. Joe Johnson never really depended on his athleticism all that much. No, he, but he was a physical yeah. specimen at his Oh, yeah, side. yeah. He, he gets yeah. you get you, get you, on, it, you know, on his yeah. side, and then he put that you know, butt in between you and the basket, and then he'd just go and drop in a floater or whatever it was. But, yeah. Yeah, Le- LeBron's overdue, guys. He's overdue. But, yeah. you know, again, it's just the basketball gods have blessed him. Uh, but, yeah, he's overdue. You look at anybody with his kind of wear and tear, they're at least at some point going to have an injury or something. And uh, he's overdue. But now, again, the question is, how does his body respond? How does he respond? Yeah. And it's LeBron. He's always, I mean, let's let's be fair. He's always seemed to outplay whatever whatever the expectation is, whatever the the limit might be, he breaks through it. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see the remainder of this season when he comes back, and we don't know for sure when that is. Um, and how he performs, how this Lakers team performs. If they don't change anything at the trade deadline, how all of this drama leading up has affected everybody. You're in a great spot, Sean, by the way, um, for daily drama in the NBA. You couldn't pick a better place than being in Southern California dealing with the Lakers and, and by extension the Clippers the Warriors up in Northern California, the Kings, and what could be a resurgence season. Very good timing on your part, my friend. Very good timing. Well, you know, the Lakers are about to go on the road and come east, so you guys are going to get a taste of that. <laughs> have at it. Have at it. Um, Shoe, I'm hoping you have uh, a Schumann stat as good as minutes played since LeBron is in the league. That, that 55,527 is good for at least another day. I'm thinking about using it just because I know I have a buffer um, and that he, that it won't change between now and I guess at the earliest Saturday night. So um, what's, your, what's your shoe mistake this week? All right, this is mostly uh, unrelated to LeBron and the Lakers, but actually it's, it, it does it touches on them a little bit. So uh, basically I am looking at the biggest points per game increases from last season. And I'm looking at players that played at least 40 games last season and have played at least 25 games this season. Mm-hmm. It's the players that have seen the biggest increases in points per game from last season to this season. It's uh, There's seven guys that have scored uh, at least six more points per game than they did last season. So we'll go with those seven. And I'll uh, I, if you have any guesses off the top of your head, go ahead. But we can run down the list, and I'll give you clues, and we'll uh, we can. Uh, mm-hmm. So, do you think is there anybody on the top of your head that you know has scored at least six more points per game than he did last season? Uh, Siakam. Siakam, yes, number three on the list. He scored uh, seven point nine more than he did last season, uh, from seven point three to fifteen point two. So there you go. He's number three. Mm-hmm. Seku, any guesses off the top of your head? Uh, I'm trying to think of somebody who's seen a, a huge jump in their minutes and or production. All right. Take the, all right. So if, if that's it in, in minutes, the biggest guy, the guy who's seen the biggest jump in minutes and he's second on the biggest jump in scoring is mm. a guy that's basically replacing LeBron James in Cleveland. Hmm. Rodney Hood? Nope. Small forward. Or J.D. Osmond. 
Chetty Osman, yes. Yeah. He's uh from went from three point nine points to twelve point seven points per game. Right. But he's seen like I said, he's seen the biggest jump in minutes. He's he's averaging averaging twenty one more minutes per game than he did last season. So he's number two on the list. So we have uh, Osman and Siakam. Number one on the list is a second year big man. <clears throat> second year big man. Second year. On a not on a not very good team. Second year big man. Local to one of the two of you. That's a good. Uh, Come on. Second local. So that have to be a good Lakers Clippers. Not the Lakers or Clippers. Yeah. So um, somebody here in Atlanta. Not local to you, Sean. <laughs> local to local to Sekou. John Collins. John Collins, correct. Yeah. Went wow. from Ten point five last season to nineteen point three this season. Jump. Well, I, I had you know what? I had no idea his scoring average was that high. I knew yeah. he was playing well, but I didn't know it was that high. Fourth on the list is a guy that I would never have guessed, a reserve in the Western Conference, a good team in the Western Conference, a reserve. Actually, I'll just give it to you, a reserve for the Denver Nuggets. Because <laughs> it's so uh, – I like I, when you start giving the answers away like that, Shu. I appreciate it. Maybe um, he just barely played last year. Mm-hmm. And now is averaging 10.7 points per game for Denver off the bench. Now, what's weird? What's weird about that to me is they spread the wealth that well in Denver that they've got a guy <laughs> that you, I tell you ten point seven off the bench or tell you, and you don't you don't know who you're who I'm talking about. Uh, he's a young young guy. I think he's second year. Pretty uh-huh. sure second year. Is that Monty Morris? No. Another guard though off the off the Denver bench. Malik Beasley. Malik Be- Beasley. Yes, yeah. correct. From 3.2 to 10.7. So he's number he's four. another guy from Atlanta by the way. I think he's from Alpharetta, Sean. Oh, wow. Mhm. Uh number 5, Sacramento Kings. Big scoring jump. Mm. Buddy Hill. Buddy Hill, correct. From 13.5 to 22. De'Aaron Fox is actually uh ninth on the list. Uh-huh. With an increase of 5.9. All right, number six, uh, New York Knicks. Guy just, you know, benefiting from playing for the uh, for the Knicks this year. <laughs> Starting point guard for the Knicks. Used to play in Denver. Yeah. Moutier, correct. I said not you, Moutier, but I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. does, does a Nick actually qualify on this yeah. list, Shoe, without yeah. an asterisk right. in – well, you know, you know, you know. Police tape. It, it is what it is. Uh, number seven, jump of from four point eight to ten point eight. This is maybe the most fun one. Los Angeles Laker, who has seen a jump from four point eight points per game last season to ten point eight this season. Uh, a new a new Laker this year. He says uh, a new Laker. Yep. Oh, Javale. Javale McGee, correct. Wow. He's big. I mean, he's he's fourth on the increase in minutes from nine point five to twenty two point one. So we have uh, Collins, Osman, Siakam, Beasley, Buddy Heald, Emmanuel Moody, H. Vale McGee. The next three are James Harden, uh, in the eighth biggest increase in points per game from wow. thirty thirty point four to thirty six point three. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, as I mentioned, and another guy betting maybe benefiting from LeBron's absence, Tristan Thompson. Mm. It's basically almost doubled his scoring average from last year. I had I had no idea, you know, because JaVale played in the finals and and the impact he had at the end of the season. I didn't realize how pedestrian his production was. 
It was bigger in the pre- with the Warriors, but like last yeah. year, last year he played sixty-five games and only six hundred and fifteen minutes. So he played less than ten minutes per game. Although right. he played in sixty-five of the eighty-two, he barely. Interesting. He was- Interesting. I, I would have thought Karis Lever. I know he's only played like you know fifteen, sixteen games, but I would have thought he would have been on that. You know, he is there because he's. It's a good question. If he's has he played twenty? Did he play twenty-five games? No, no, he hasn't played 25 games this year. No, no. Did he? It's a good question. Yeah, it's pretty but, uh, I know he was playing very well for them, and I know yeah, his scoring was. was up. But again, he, you know, limited. Oh, games. 14 games. Yeah, he's only played 14 yeah, he played games. Yeah. So. Um, interesting. He didn't. He didn't get an opportunity to to do what some other guys have done. With you know, which is like you said, Beasley is. Most people probably don't recognize him as. A, you know who who he is, but he's been really good for Denver um, on a on a deep Denver roster. Sean, you mentioned Monty Morris, another young guy uh, in Denver who's had a huge impact to play really well for them. So uh, interesting stuff. I'm kind of interested to see how that all works out when Isaiah Thomas comes back, and you know this is a guy who needs the ball in his hands, and you know he can score at least he could before he got hurt, and. Uh, you know, Denver's going to be a very intriguing team. You know, uh, Mike Malone's done a good job this year, but it's almost like he's got a whole training camp again uh, <laughs> because he's got guys coming back who will factor into the rotation. And, uh, and you know, and, you know, look, look at some of the injured players. He, you know, he's had to get back here and, and you know, they've had to come in, you know, not mid season, but uh, during the season. So uh, they're not a complete team. Yeah, it's definitely going to be the, – the, like I said, the West is far from settled. That's why the Lakers, to me, are so intriguing. Um, they, could, they could go uh, one of two ways. They could get LeBron back and go berserk and really, you know, change the landscape in the West, or they could continue to slide. And, and maybe LeBron coming back doesn't give them the boost everybody thinks because of all the other teams in the West who are – in the midst of similar or like transformations. So, you know, it's, it's hard to know which, how this thing swings, but it's going to be fun as always to watch. Um, so, Sean, we appreciate you taking the time, man, getting up early out there in L.A. Um, tell all our California friends we said hello. We'll, we'll see you at All-Star in Charlotte and, and, of course, down the road, watch you on NBA TV and read you on NBA.com as always. Hey, anytime, guys. Appreciate you having me on. All right, Sean. Okay. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Sean Powell right there, folks, from NBA.com. He is our new West Coast Bureau Chief. Shoot. Holding it down out there in L.A. Um, We we talked the last couple weeks here on the Hangtime Podcast about the perfect player on NBA TV. And before we get out of here, it's time for another edition. And last week, LeBron James won for most athletic player in the NBA. Kyrie Irving has already won for best handles, and we have six more categories to go. This week, to me, the the one no-brainer category, if there ever was one shoe, the best jump shot. And we got Steph Curry, J.J. Redick, and Klay Thompson as our three candidates. You can't go wrong with a splash brother in this category, You can cast your vote on NBA TV's Twitter account until noon Eastern on Friday. Shu, where are you going? Don't 
don't start anything crazy. Where are you going with this? Uh, it should be fairly simple, but I'll just just compare um, Curry and Thompson. They're different, mm-hmm. right? Like they're different kinds of shooters. Yes. In, in, in the same way that we, you know, we talked about last week, how there's sort of different kinds of athleticism and even the, the week before different kinds of handles um, in that Curry is the ultimate or, or the most, the more dangerous offensive weapon just because of how well he shoots off the dribble and how much pressure that puts on your defense. Mm-hmm. But Curry, like, I mean, Thompson just like, catch and shoot i mean it's just so quick and so simple like his form is just um so great so perfect um but really i mean so like i said there's that's there there are two different kinds of shooters um but i mean we gotta just go with curry because he can be he's a great catch and shoot guy as well um well in the range i think yeah yeah that's true that's a good point sets him apart from yeah even from clay which is very difficult to do i think they they both have shown us that they're on a level of the you know the, all their own basically in, you know in today's NBA and some people will tell you in the history of the league I mean we we've, we've never seen two guys this good at the, at that craft at the fact that they play on the same team um, and have spent their entire careers together is just a, a touch of greatness from the basketball gods that uh, that these guys are able to operate together. It's funny. I think they could have even chopped this into two categories. You could say best jump shooter and then best catch and shooter. And then we could have got both of them on there. We could have got could have got Steph on there as the best shooter and then Clay on there as the best. And I will give J.J. Redick this, that the one thing that he can do probably better than both of those guys is come off of a dead sprint and yes. stop and catch and give that ball a decent chance of going in the basket. And we, yeah. we talked about it previously. My, one of my the most impressive plays of this season still remains that four-point play that he hit uh, against Detroit right before Blake Griffin got his game. This was all the way back in like the second or third week of the season. But he hit just – just a, a ridiculous coming off a dead sprint, taking a handoff, stopping on a dime, taking contact and hitting, <laughs> hitting like a 26 footer for a four point play that gave the Sixers a lead right before Griffin got his game winner. And it was just amazing. And it just made me realize how uh, good he is to be able how skilled to, yeah, he is, yeah. to be able to, to do the, you know, stop on a dime off of a dead sprint because we really, really don't see that with, with Curry and Thompson. They move, they move really well, but they don't, move as fast as Reddick does when he's, you know, going off of pin downs and, and, you know, circling from one side of the floor to the other and, and trying to get a shot off. That's the one, you know, so I'll give him credit for uh, his ability to shoot um, having off of a dead sprint, basically. Yeah. Well, we've, we've officially uh, reorganized the competition in, <laughs> in the contest. Now it's the best jump shooter, Steph Curry, the best catch and shooter, Clay Thompson, and we'll just keep it rolling there. You can vote on NBA TV's Twitter account until noon on Friday, and then over the weekend you'll see the results and the discussion on game time throughout the course of the NBA weekend on NBA TV. Uh, We'll be back Monday, obviously, with another episode here at the Hangtime Podcast. The Kia Race to the MVP ladder drops, as always, on Fridays on NBA.com. I would beg to uh, guess – 
that James Harden might be, you know, after the month that he put together in January, it would be hard to budge him out of the top spot shoe. I'm going to also tell you that I think there's going to be some movement underneath James Harden. Hey, yeah, Giannis Antetokounmpo has a, a big high-profile game Thursday night, uh, you know, tonight know. that could help him, uh, you know, a little head-to-head with Kawhi Leonard could help him uh, – Help his status. By the way, I got a. I'll have a a, a Raptors story uh, preview in that game. Look at uh, the Raptors numbers. Sort of their uh, look into their lineups and how they have a sort of a different starters bench dynamic than they've had in the past. Uh, that, mm-hmm. That's out okay. Thursday. You can check it out. Good. There. Good. Sounds good. Um, be sure to subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts, Spotify wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes all season long. Make sure you leave a review for John Schumann, for our man Sean Powell out on the West Coast, Seku Smith, John Hartzell, our producer. We appreciate you, and we'll see you right here next time on the Hang Time Podcast.